Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Joel chapter 1. I'm going to go I'm going to do something I haven't done. I'm going to preach a different message tonight than I preached this morning. I felt like there during the worship the Lord was speaking to me. And it wasn't that this morning's message was a bad message. I'd encourage you actually to all get it <laughs> online for free, download it and listen to it. It will be beneficial to your heart, the God who loves weak people. But I feel like the Lord is trying to do something in the room tonight and I want to I want to go ahead and be faithful to what I feel like the Lord is saying and doing in my heart, and I want to sound an alarm. I want to be a trumpet blast. And so what we'll do is we'll put both of these messages on the internet, okay? And, uh, and uh, I just, I feel like we need, I need to be a trumpet blast tonight. And then uh, I, I feel like we need to uh, enter back in to a time of prayer at the end of the service. And uh, I want to ask the Lord to release intercession, upon us, that he'd grip us with prayer uh, right now. And I really feel like the Lord's trying to do something here, and, I, and so I want to be faithful to that. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Joel, and as I said, this morning, really, it'll be a good, good uh, for your heart to grab that message, but uh, tonight I want to be faithful to the way I feel like the Lord's leading us. Okay, good, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you to do everything you desire to do tonight. Lord, I ask you to come and hold my hand and let me be a trumpet. Let me be a trumpet sounding an alarm, even tonight. And I'm asking you, Abba, that you would release grace and supplication upon us, even tonight. I pray that the, the sound of the alarm would sound loudly. By the Spirit, not just my voice, but by the Spirit of God, an alarm would go off and it would cause our hearts to tremble tonight. God, I pray, come. Let the the presence of the Lord come. Let wisdom be found in this house. Let the fear of the Lord be released in this place. God, I pray you'd, you'd attune us to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in this hour. And we desperately need your leading. We need your intervention. We cannot continue to go along blind and dull, deaf and mute. God, we need to see, to hear, and we need to speak the word of the Lord. God, I pray for this house. I pray for the church in this city. I pray for our nation, God, you'd raise up a prophetic voice, a messenger voice to thunder the word of the Lord in this most important and critical time. Now, would you come even tonight and release something in our midst that would bring a shifting and a breaking in the spirit, God? Release your presence tonight, God. Draw us into unity and unison with the heart of the Lord. Spirit of God, bring us into unity. And in the name of Jesus, I take this room under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I say, we will be in unity and unison with the Spirit of God tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for directing us into the mind of the Lord. Even in this moment. Even now.
even now. Good. In the name of Jesus, everybody that agreed said amen. In Joel chapter 1, the prophet Joel is coming as an alarm to, to bring, what he's doing is he's bringing a prophetic interpretation of things that have already happened. And he's pointing to a reality that's getting ready to happen. He's coming as a warning signal to the people of God trying to get their attention. He says sound an alarm, but in fact, he is the alarm. He is the alarm. He is the voice of the Lord crying out as an alarm to grip the hearts of men. And there's been much said about Joel, Joel 2 primarily. And most of the emphasis in Joel 2 is on the last four verses, which are quoted in the book of Acts. But the book of Joel has a much more specific, and not that those aren't great verses, they are, and they are specific to our day. But there's much more, I should say it like that, there's much more in the book of Joel that's specific to our day besides just those last four verses of chapter 2. And so here's what's happening. Let's just, let's just read a, a few verses, and then I'll explain this to you. Verse 2. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. And here's what he says. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. And he goes on and he says, awake. And he goes on and he says, lament. And he goes on. And he says, gird yourselves, wail. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. I'm in verse 14. And all the inhabitants of the land, call the elders into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And he goes on, and here's what's happened to the nation in that time. Joel is giving prophetic interpretation to what's going on right in front of them, and here's, here's what's happened. Four separate plagues of locusts have descended on the nation of Israel in succession simultaneously, and they have completely destroyed the land. Now, one locust plague will have hundreds of thousands, millions of locusts. And when it'll come, it will descend it will come over the horizon and descend, and it will, it will cause the sky to grow completely dark. And the buzzing and the whirling of the sound of the locusts will fill the entire landscape. Like little helicopters 
you know, buzzing all together, millions at the same time. It fills the sound over the entire uh, landscape, over that entire geography where, where they come. And one locust plague will come, and it will strip all the vegetation and all the greenery, all the, the uh, uh, fruit and all, all the vegetables, a- any kind of uh, growth from the ground, they're going to eat all of it, all the agriculture. So here's what happened one morning. The people rose as normal, and all of a sudden they begin to see a gray cloud like they'd never seen really moving over top of the horizon and it's moving with an ominous, strange sound, whirling and buzzing. and It blocks out the sun and it begins to descend and they realize it's a locust plague. And those locusts, they ate the agriculture and they stripped it completely bare. And when they come, they lay hundreds of thousands of eggs. And all the figs, and all the the olives, and all the grapes, all the main agricultural produce is gone. The economy, gone. The sustenance, gone. In one instant, gone. And the people, as that plague begins to lift, and those locusts begin to take off, they come out to inspect their orchards, their vineyards. They come out to inspect the agriculture. They're going to go and they're going to sweep out the, the eggs and kill the eggs off. And just about that time, the buzzing begins again. In the sky, it grows dark again. And millions of locusts, another wave comes and lands on the grounds. And what the first wave left, the second wave devoured. But there is no greenery now. Now they're chewing bark. Now they're eating stems. And they're eating everything down to the nub. That locust plague, it, it continues the, the consuming and then it takes off. The people come out to inspect what's happened, to clear off all the eggs, and the buzzing begins again. And a third time, a locust plague descends. And this time, they're just eating nubs and down to the dirt. That one leaves. They come out to clean out the eggs. Millions of eggs now are infesting their lands. And a fourth plague comes. Now, not only, Dill 1 doesn't just tell us that four locust plagues come, but it tells us a drought hits simultaneously. And so, everything is completely stripped bare. There is no grass on the field. There's no figs. There's no olives. There's no grapes. There's no greenery. And the water supply is hit. So the carcasses of their cattle begin to fall in the fields. And brush fire from the stubble that's left begin to ignite and their, their pastures, which were lush and green, just a few days earlier, are now burning with fire and the corpses of dead cattle. And their entire economic system was destroyed just like that. And Joel shows up on the scene and he says this. 
He says, listen to me. He goes, has anything like this ever happened in your days? Has it ever happened in the days of your parents? The answer is, of course not. He says, you've been hit with four waves of locusts. And he goes, and my word to you is awake and lament and wail and consecrate a fast. And here's why. He goes, because that plague, those plagues of locusts, that wasn't the judgment event. That was the precursor pointing to a whole nother reality to come. There's an army coming. You thought the locusts were terrible? No, they're just a picture of the army that's gonna come and invade your lands. And in Joel 2, he says, the day of the Lord is at hand, and he begins to describe in the first 12 verses this destructive army that's gonna burn the land bare. See, what they'd experienced with the locust plagues and the fire in their fields was only a prophetic picture. It was only a preemptive move of the Lord in judgment to get the people's eyes on the Lord so they would fast and pray and cry out and repent and turn around before God had to bring the real judgment. And so in Joel 2, he explains what that army's like. And then in verse 12, he says, now that you finally understand the picture, he goes, therefore, says the Lord, turn, turn, turn to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he'll relent and turn and leave a blessing behind him. He says a grain offering and a drink offering. You know what he's talking about? He goes, flooding rains instead of an army of judgment that'll cause the grain and the wine the grapes, to grow again. They needed rain. And Joel says, fast and pray and turn to God and let's see if he'll stop the judgment that he is already on the way to producing. This is, I mean, this is a stunning reality. Then he goes this, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord, let them weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should the people say, where's their God? Beloved, Joel 1 and 2 is a trumpet blast alarm for this generation. We love to play like buffet Bible roulette. You know, we just pull the one little verse out that that one sounds good and we miss. We don't comprehend the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is this, the Lord will bring 
preemptive and preliminary judgment events to point to a larger scale judgment that's in store if people don't repent. Now, I look at our nation, and I look at the state of our city and the state of our nation, the state of the church, and uh, we've had natural judgment events. We've had Katrinas. We've had 9-11s. And people, you know, people don't want to say those things are the judgment of the Lord. I fully believe they're the judgment of the Lord. I believe God, in his mercy, is releasing judgment events on us so that we'll turn our eyes to the Lord. And nobody wants to go on the line and say that. Somebody said, well, what about the, the righteous that, that died in, in those judgment events. Well, there are verses that says when the Lord brings judgment, he sweeps down the righteous with the wicked. Because for the righteous, it's a promotion. If you're saved, the worst thing that can happen to you isn't dying. But we are so earthly minded, we can't conceive of, we can't perceive of the lens by which the Lord interacts in human affairs. And every pressing, many times, we misinterpret the pressings, not comprehending that God is pressing us because he wants our heart, beloved. He wants us to turn and and repent so that he can be merciful. In Isaiah, it says, when the judgments of the Lord are in the earth, the people learn righteousness. And so when the Lord moves in judgment, he sweeps down the wicked and the, and the unrighteous. I mean, the w- wicked and the righteous together. The, for the righteous, it's a promotion. For the wicked, it's damnation. And I look at the state of our nation, and I look at the Katrinas and the 9-11s, and I look at the Hurricane Ikes, and I look at little tremors, and I look across the globe, and I look at tsunamis, and I look at, you know, these famines that are hitting in different places of the earth, and, and I look at what's happening in the earth, and it's clear to me the shaking is beginning right now, beloved. It's already started. And if it started, guess what it's not going to do anytime soon? Stop. It's going to shake and shake and shake. They're just like birth pangs that a woman has. They crest and they release and then they crest and then they release and then they crest until those birth pangs are hitting one after the other, after the other, after the other. And there's almost no rest in between. I want to tell you something. The story of the end of the age is not the story of how bad the devil is and how strong, you know, Antichrist is going to be. The story of the end of the age is this. God is birthing a kingdom. He's going to vindicate his bride. He's going to kick out all the gray areas. He's going to remove all the props from humankind. And he's going to bring humankind to a choice where they will either choose righteousness or reject righteousness. But we're not going to have this anymore, this gray area where you can't quite tell what's going on. And the, the movement and the judgments of the Lord in the end of the age, they are all about preparing the context of the earth for Jesus to come and take rulership of the planet. 
And what's God's mechanism for doing that? He raises up a false Jesus. God raises up an anti-Christ. And men in their wickedness across the globe will choose that one. It produces the context. It causes the gray areas to go away. away. It demands people to make a choice. Righteousness at the expense of death or wickedness and the promise of comfort, which is a deception and a lie anyway. And so I look at the contractions that are happening in the earth and I see locust plagues. I see locust plagues. But what's more, I look at the issues of sin and I see locust plagues. I look at the issue of abortion. We are in the last lap, last seven days of a 40-day fast right now for the overturn of abortion that God will raise up a righteous president in our nation for the breaking of same-sex marriage and, and the stopping of human trafficking. And, and I look at these issues, these justice issues, and it's almost like we are asleep, beloved. We're murdering 4,000 babies a day, and we think it's a political issue. I was talking to a sister in the church, and I said, hey, listen, I want you to check out this video on Margaret Sanger and how she raised up Planned Parenthood as a means to exterminate African Americans. And I sent it to her. And she sent me a reply, and the reply said, you know, I just believe that we can proclaim the truth, but, you know, uh, you know, we can't force people to do righteousness. That's why, we give them, that's why God gives us the choice. And, uh, and we were talking about this upcoming election, and she said, so I'm going to vote the way that I'm thinking I'm going to vote. And my heart is grieved because she's a believer, but she's going to support government-legislated murdering of infants In the name of, I think this one's going to do better for me than that one. No, 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 we can't. We can't support the murder of babies. I don't care if that one is going to do worse for me. I can't sign online and support babies getting murdered day in and day out. This is not about my comfort. 4,000 a day, every day, tomorrow, 4,000. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay we're staring into an election. We've got candidates that want to sign on for abortion in every term. It's not okay that we've got a, a candidate that said that it should be a, a baby that is, that's a, an abortion survivor should be left untreated to die outside the womb. That's not, a, that's, listen, that is fact. That's not, I'm not talking about something I don't know what I'm talking about. That is a fact. This is not okay, and we cannot support that. And we cannot support homosexual marriage. We cannot support unions of people of the same sex. Listen, we love 
homosexuals. We, love, we truly love them. We go every single year to the, to the gay pride event, and we go and we love on homosexuals for three days straight. We tell them how much God loves them. We prophesy the, the mysteries of the heart of, to them. By the word of the Lord, the Lord healed multiple homosexuals at the gay pride event this past year. People getting up out of wheelchairs. Some of the most significant miracles we've ever seen at the gay pride event. God loves homosexuals and so do we. But we do not support the sin of homosexuality. We do not support that version. And we cannot engage uh, politically or any other way and support that. And I'm looking at the sin issue. I'm looking at the abortion issue. I'm looking at the homosexual agenda. And I'm looking at human trafficking. And we don't even understand this in the church, but there are more slaves in the earth today than have ever been in the history of the planet. 30 million slaves in the, on the earth today. 30 million. 70%. 70% are sex slaves. Do you know which nation is the number one importer of sex slaves? The United States of America. Do you know what city in our nation is the number one city for human trafficking? Atlanta. We're top three in the homosexual population. We're top five in abortions. We're number one in human trafficking. And you know what else we're number one in? Drug trafficking. We are number one in Atlanta in drug drug trafficking. And beloved, I look at the state of the sin, and I look at the state of the the judgment events that we've already seen, and I want to tell you what the consuming locust left, the chewing locust, has come to eat, and down, and so on, and so forth. And we are seeing plagues hit our nation, and we are asleep. We're asleep in the house of prayer. I'm not preaching to the church down the street. I'm preaching to us. We are asleep. We're more worried about how this economy is going to affect our checkbook than we are about the justice issues that are on the heart of the Lord. Listen, we have a God who promises to supply all of our needs according to what? His riches in glory. We are so tapped into a natural economy that we've got no concept of the God that sees and hears and cares and provides. I've got to find him there because if I don't find him there, I'll be so worried about my own personal comforts and I'll completely miss the prophetic signs of the times. Jesus said to those in his day, he goes, you all have learned how to discern the skies. When the sky turns red, you know what the weather's going to be. He goes, but you've missed the signs of the times. What's he saying to him? He goes, God is standing in front of you and you're going to murder me in a week. Beloved, we have got to hear the heartbeat of the Lord in this hour. We've got to hear the heartbeat of the Lord in this hour. 
We're on this last week of this fast. If you haven't joined in this fast, you got seven days to jump in. I'm sounding an alarm tonight. Let's, let's for real, let's cry out to the Lord and ask him to bring mercy instead of judgment. Who knows? Who knows? What if he relents? What if he relieves, what if he leaves a blessing instead? And I, I, I'm concerned for our state. I'm concerned for where we're at in heart. You know, Jeremiah, chapter four, chapter six, he, he said, I, he goes, I've got something. He goes, I've got a word of the Lord, but who am I gonna speak the word of the Lord to? He goes, all my people are like silly children. He goes, their ears, they're uncircumcised. They can't hear the word of the Lord. He goes, but I'm seeing the standard of war, and I'm hearing the sound of the alarm. It was 25 years later that Babylon came and invaded Jerusalem. They were in a time of revival under Josiah's range, uh, under Josiah's reign, and, and Jeremiah is seeing battle standards and hearing the trumpet sounding the alarm. And he goes, I can't even tell them this because they won't hear it. Love it. I tell you, the hour is critical that we're living in. It's urgent. It's a significant hour. This election is, is massive, but there's, there's so much more going on. There's so much more at stake. Flip over with me to the book of Habakkuk. I don't know when God, in his economy, decides that judgment is the best stroke of mercy. I don't know. Sometimes mercy giving us what we don't deserve, the opposite of what we've earned. And sometimes judgment. I don't know when God, I, God knows. He knows that stuff. I don't know. You know what I have to cry out for? Mercy. Mercy, Lord. Mercy. Wake me up so I, my eye is open, so I understand the plagues that are hitting, and I understand something far worse. This is a foreshadowing to that. Wake me up so I can cry out and ask for mercy. I had a friend call me. He called me at like 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. And he's, he's grieving because he's preaching and he's preaching something that's burning in him about the urgency of the hour in which we live. And he said he walked out the room and people said, hey, brother, that was a good word. Thank you for sharing that good word. And the next morning he wakes up and he's just grieving because he doesn't want to be a nice little preacher preaching a nice little word that everybody goes, good word, brother. And they live exactly the same the next day. And oh, I know the, the pain of that. Because the, the alarm is at a level 10. And some reason, no matter how loud you raise your voice, it seems like it hits the ear at a level 3. Beloved, there's got to be a time when we decide that we're hearing an alarm and it will change the way we think. It will change the way we live. It will change the way we spend our time and spend our money. It will change our mentality. Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk's a prophetic intercessor. He's crying out in prayer. He's looking at wickedness. He's just, a, he's just a handful of years before Babylon is about to invade. And he's staring at a people who are drunk in sin. And here's what he says. 
Lord, how long shall I cry and you won't hear? Even cry out violence and you don't save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contention arises. The law is powerless and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and they therefore perverse judgment proceeds. And here's the Lord's answer. So Habakkuk is saying, God, it's, it's bad out there. We need an answer. We need something to turn around. We need it to shift. God, I'm asking you, move in mercy. And the Lord says, here we go, no problem. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, because I'll work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Because I'm raising up the Chaldeans to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. And Habakkuk goes, what? What? No, I said, wickedness is abounding and there's violence in the street and the law isn't even working and we, we need mercy. And God goes, I'm raising up the Babylonian army to come and to take the dwellings that aren't theirs. And the Lord begins to explain they come for violence. They gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings. And Habakkuk, he goes, I know you're from everlasting. Why would you use people that are more wicked than we are as a rod in your hand? I I don't understand. And he finally, in, in chapter 2, we'll actually get that in, in context now. He, he goes, I'm going to take my watch. I'll stand my watch. Verse 1, set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he'll say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. He goes, I know I don't understand and I need you to correct me. So I'm going to sit here until you explain this to me, that you're raising up a foreign army who worships foreign gods to come as an instrument to bring righteousness to our nation. He goes, I sit here until you correct me. And the Lord answers, write the vision. Make it plain. That he who reads it may run with it. He goes, the vision's for an appointed time. It will not tarry. It will come to pass. Do you know what that vision is? It's not your five to ten year plan. The vision's chapter three. You know what chapter three is? Jesus Christ coming, treading the nations. We've almost never had this book in context. But the point that I want to extract is this. The prophetic intercessor, he's crying out to the Lord. He's asking the Lord. He's saying, God, it's bad out there. We need help. God, do something. And God goes, I am. I'm going to bring such such intense judgment. You won't even understand it, even if I tell you. And Habakkuk goes, um, um, um. No, no, I, I, we wanted mercy. And God goes, yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing mercy by bringing judgment. And beloved, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when God decides judgment is the most merciful thing he can do. But at the end of the day, you know what I want to do? You say, yes, Lord. Just and true are all your ways. All your ways are just and true. But half of our problem is we have no vision of who God is. We don't know God. 
We think that all God does is bless, 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 bless. And he is, we think that God is principally interested in our temporal comfort and our temporal happiness. And we have no concept of the God who goes, I love you so much, I will not leave you as you are. I will press you until you get your hands off everything that's hindering love and I can bring you close to me. He goes, I don't mind if I offend you for a moment if I can have your heart. I don't mind if I whittle you down and make you lean. If it'll cause you to turn to me. Beloved, I... I want to sound an alarm to us tonight. We've got seven days left for the most critical election potentially in our nation's history. We have our current president. He is setting up right now for the next president a global economic summit so they can talk about putting the world currency on a one world economy. What time do you think you're living in? What time do you think it is? Really? What time do we think it is? We need the Lord in his mercy to wake our hearts. To stir us with truth to put zeal in us and to grip us with urgency for the hour so that we can cry out to the Lord fast and pray. And who knows? Who knows? He may relent. He may relent. But you know, there was times in the scriptures where the best thing that could happen to the people of God because they were so given to their own way, their own personal preferences, didn't have the mind of the Lord. There's times in the scriptures where the best thing that could happen to them was for God to put them under a wicked ruler. So they become pressed and go through challenges and trials. So they would turn to God through the challenges and trials. Beloved, I don't know I don't know what the Lord's doing. I know this. Nobody gets into the the presidential office without the Lord's check mark on it. I know that. And God will give people the desires of their own heart. And when Israel cried out for a king ahead of God's timing, he gave them a king after their own heart. I want to say this. I love our great nation. I love America. I love and honor those that have fought for our nation, for the freedoms that we are able to experience every single day. But do you know what the weakness of a republic is? We are a republic. The weakness of a republic is this. It presupposes the people will choose righteousness. But what happens in a republic when the majority of the hearts of the people swing to wickedness? They will therefore then choose wickedness and their leaders and their rulers will be wicked and those wicked leaders and rulers will therefore then enact wicked laws like the murder of infants. And sin will abound in that nation. Justice falls in the street. God raised up America. I believe he raised it up 
for us to be a, a gospel proclamation to the nations of the earth. And in, I believe in part we've fulfilled that. We, there, there's been a partial fulfillment of that. There's been so many missionaries sent forth from America. But at this point in time, I just wonder, beloved, do we even know the God that we claim that we serve in America? When we proclaim the gospel, do we know the kingdom of the God that we are proclaiming? Do we know the king? Or do we know a God after our own appetites? An idol that we've made in our own image? Are we more concerned with our own temporal comforts and we've got no palate for truth, so therefore we've erected an idol and called it Jehovah? Oh, if we'll turn, if we'll turn, we'll fast and we'll pray, who knows what could happen? Who knows what could happen? I want to say this, regardless of what happens with this, the outcome of this election, because I honestly, <laughs> let's see if I want to say this, I don't believe the candidates are that far apart, actually. But whoever gets in, that one's going to have a target on them. Because we're going to pray for that guy to, to get encounters, regardless of who gets in. We're going to ask God to bless our nation by visiting the president in a powerful way, whoever it is. Let's just stand. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Our friends are in California. They're on the, on the ground in California. The call, Lou and his team, they're there and they're, they're contending right now to break the back of same-sex marriage. I don't know any, I don't know another person that's more completely given himself to the overturn of abortion in the last 15 years than Lou Engle. And uh, we know for sure that the next president is going to be able to appoint several Supreme Court justices. There's a couple that are heavily pro-abortion that are just waiting to retire until the presidential office changes. And, and those, those justices will have the opportunity to rule on Roe v. Wade. The hour is urgent. Do you know what? We had a dream about Lou, and in the dream, the voice of accusation was rising up against Lou, and it was saying, this doesn't count. This doesn't matter. All your prayers don't matter. And he said, I don't care what you say. I don't care. He goes, in fact, I'm going to keep praying regardless of the outcome because I want it said of me that I, in my generation, lifted my voice. I let my voice be heard. We got it in a dream. And I tell you that Lord, the Lord brought that back to me so powerfully at the call in D.C. And he said, have you done everything in your generation to partner with my grace to see abortion overturned? Have you done everything in your generation to partner with my grace to see abortion overturned? Beloved, this is it. Got one week left. I want to call you to fast and pray. I want to call you to seek the Lord. You know, you may have a job and, and it may be strenuous, but you know what? Limit 
What, you, can, you can change your, your caloric intake and still fast and pray at your meals. You can go vegetables or you can go juices. Some of you got more free time. I want to challenge you to find yourself in a house of prayer over the next week crying out to God. We're, ju- we're just going to be crying out in intercession this week. Crying out for God to change something, to shift something. And our intercession sets. Let's get in the game. Let's wake up and let's get in the game. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins, the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood for my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins, the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, I plead your blood for my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion, send revival to America. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy.